Hello, folks. Rob here. This is your Highlands Bunker podcast for the week. Uh, we have a very cool uh, episode planned for you. Uh, it's a, a double episode, so you get uh, two bits. It should be fun. Uh, but before I uh, explain that and introduce it, I wanted to do a, a quick public service announcement. Uh, if, and of course this is a big if, uh, Bloomberg buys his way uh, to the nomination of the Democratic Party um, through a brokerage convention or by some other means, uh, I will not vote for him. Uh, in fact, I will persuade everyone I know not to vote for him. Um, if, if this occurs, if what you're seeing occurs and, and the man is able to basically, you know, buy his way to endorsements, buy his way to put a campaign together, buy his way onto the debate and buy his way to try to hide what he said about stop and frisk, what he said about uh, poor black folks in schools, uh, what he said about just basically people not being able to have any sort of uh, control over their own lives, you know, once to tax, you know, sodas. Um, the things he said to women that's on record, um, multiple dozens and dozens of sexual harassment suits because the guy's a creep. He's a dog and he's a piece of shit. Um, so at that point, if we are looking at Trump v. Bloomberg, democracy is over. That, that, that doesn't exist anymore. So rather than sitting out or voting third party for some sort of... Uh, some reason to sort of uh, show, you know, signify your, you know, your goodness or for some other reason, this would be actually boycotting f because it's, it's not democracy any longer. Okay. Um, we're at a very, I, you know, I've been saying this and saying this, we're, we're, we're at a point now where um, we don't have a lot of time left. Okay. Uh, you know, it's it's illegitimate that Bloomberg can walk in, uh, who endorsed Bush two times, who's endorsed war, who's run, you know, private investigations and FBI type investigations out of New York on spying on Muslims and other folks. Um, if he is able in this situation to even get any you know, traction at all, uh, all that does is prove that this democracy we have is fake and I'm not going to be a part of it. And so I just, I, I want everybody to sort of realize that right out of the blocks. Um, I'm not, you know, it's illegitimate and I won't participate. And I'm going to try to persuade others not to participate too. Uh, and not because it's some reason to make me feel better or signify anything. Um, it's illegitimate. It's not a democracy. Uh, everybody knows that. Uh, so, you know, we can argue about it if the time comes. I, I hope it doesn't. Uh, but in any event, that's the story. For the podcast tonight, we have a really cool thing. The first part will be uh, Ryan uh, Nawazik, Nawazik, pardon me, and D. Marquis Hall uh, talking about Senate Bill 39 in the Delaware legislature. Uh, it's the fines and fees adjustments. I think it's really important. Uh, we actually excerpt a part of this conversation and put it out as a bonus a few weeks ago regarding uh, Yahim Harris uh, and his case. Um, Yahim is a political prisoner right now. 
Uh, he's been put back in jail after being shot after being shot while unarmed by the cops. Um, so we're we're working on getting him out. Uh, we may talk about that a little bit. We've excerpted most of that already. I think most of this will be around um, the details of SB thirty nine. After that uh, will be a conversation I had with uh, Kira Hoffner. Uh, she is uh, running for Senate uh, against an octogenarian ex-cop uh, who is just, you know, an ossified sort of dug-in fossil down there. But we have a nice conversation. I hope to have her back in. Um, but you learn a little bit about where she comes from, what's important to her. And why these challenges, why these primaries from the left are so, so incredibly important. Uh, so without uh, further ado, uh, here is our episode. Left is best, everybody. Well, we had Dr. Payne in and the first big um, project that he did with that with the uh, method that he uses was in the east side and south bridge and he's and um their data had a hundred percent of male black male and brown males in south bridge dropped out of high school how many did you say a hundred percent a hundred percent and he said that is like statistics 101 is systemic. There's absolutely no way that there's any other factor creating. You mean that. 100% of the men in their program? No, of their service. So they surveyed, I guess, 500. Then this is across Southbridge and Eastside, 520. People that had 20, been 600. So of the, of the people in their survey, between 500 and 600. So, so the people in their survey had to meet the definition of what he defined as the street. So if they were locked up, if they were uh, if they were in the game, if they were dealing, if they were whatever, it was uh, women too, it was between the ages of 18 and 35, I think. And so they went out with their team of researchers, but they surveyed about, I want to say 525, something like that. And of the Southbridge males that were in that population, all 100% of them had dropped out of school. And, and it was just, it was obvious to them that this is a systemic, as you said, like there's nothing there. It's, there's no decision or thing they can do to get out of it. It's pure, purely systemic, baked into it. And it just, that's what, that, that's sort of what the numbers are showing that a lot of things are just like that. Yeah. And I think, I think, I mean, the campaign that D and I are working on, that's something like separate from the ACLU. Cause like what we're trying to do as far as stuff down in Dover is um, the campaign to end debtors prison. Well, let's do this first. So yeah, let's, I was just, oh, yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry. We gotta, we gotta jump right into we, we, it. We yeah. jump right into it. We always just jump into it. So yeah, introduce yourself. We, 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 uh, we went with D and I still want to. I want to get back to the Yahim uh, story because there's still a lot of activism to be done, and I don't want to uh, miss out on that. But yeah, introduce yourself and let's talk about uh, what you're going to be doing in Dover. Hey, uh, my name is Ryan Dvacek. I'm a college student. 
uh, finished freshman year in spring of 19, uh, currently taking a year off, um, largely to do some stuff in local advocacy, um, doing a couple different things with nonprofits, most notably Network Delaware and ACLU. Um, and yeah, it's like to be um, on air with you guys. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I don't, do, do you know Carl? Carl. Um, let them know what we've been doing. Yeah, welcome. Let so what um, what have you been working on through network and ACLU with D and um, yeah, let us know what you're doing. Yeah, so um, I started getting involved with a network in kind of like late September, like early mid October, really getting into it. Um, and I've been on and off again because I've been doing other things. Um, so I haven't been showing up to every meeting. Um, but when I kind of contacted the network and said, hey, I'm interested in criminal justice reform, they're like, this is kind of one of the big things we got going on right now. And um, it was still kind of in its in its formative stages at that point. Um, but the campaign to end debtor's prison is founded kind of on the assumption that there are just some basic common sense changes to... Uh, well, first of all, the process for imposing court uh, court debt in the form of fines and fees, um, and also so on the imposition side on, and on the enforcement side, that would first of all reduce a huge amount of needless suffering, um, but but also just make make people's lives a whole lot easier and prevent the at least in in small part. Um, one of the main drivers of uh, like a permanent underclass because um, you got these people who can barely like keep the lights on, keep food on the table. You know, they get a parking ticket or something. The idea is, you know, the fine might be like $50 or something for whatever the traffic expense. But you get this, you add a bunch of court fees on, you get all these different funds that, um, you know, you rack up additional charges on this bill. And you end up with something that's close to, you know, three hundred dollars or more. Um, and if you look at the, there's there's plenty of research on, you know, based on based on like the working class families, people in lower income brackets can't afford a random expense like that. Um, so even if they have a payment plan, chances are they're not going to be able to pay it on time. And that's where this whole cycle that we that you know researchers called the debt trap or the debt spiral kind of comes into play. Um, so the idea is, first of all, the main push of the campaign is to support this legislation. Katie Parker West from uh, the Delaware Center for Justice. Oh yeah, we know those folks. Wrote this great bill that would give the, the judge uh, um, discretion mm -hmm to be able to say, this person is in, indigent. They're poor, so they can't pay this fine. They can't pay this bill, so let's not give him a fee on top of this fine that we want him to pay, because he or she is trying to take care of a family, and they don't even have a job. They're unemployed. He or she is trying to take care of a family, and they're homeless, and they still made it to court. So let's not charge them for appearing in court in front of our bailiffs and our prosecutor. Let's not charge them a fee on top of what it is that they're going through already because they're poor. <laughs> let's not tell them that all of a sudden now, since they couldn't pay, they have a capius. 
and now warrant for their arrest. That's and again, that's how they up. get. And, and again, that's how they're able to then just basically pick people off at their leisure. So I'm thankful to Katie Parker West for writing this legislation. And now uh, Darius Brown has the bill. He's the sponsor. He's the head of the Judiciary Committee in his first year now in Dover. Now he's on his second year, right? Third. This is his first term. What is it? He's going into his second year now. And he's the head of the, head of the Judiciary Committee already. So this is his bill. And a lot of the other legislators, I met with Brian Townsend and Laura Sturgeon last week. They look at it as, as if, you know, since it's, it's his bill... They would be like in, infringing almost. If you're one of the sponsors for the bill, if you, if you agree with what it is that it says, which is is true and factual, and it's going to help people, then you need to fight for it. Like you wrote it, like you're so, Katie so, Parker West. So let me ask you this: Katie Parker West works. Uh, she did that work representing. We lost her, unfortunately. She's in PA now. Okay. Was she with the ACLU or was she with? Uh, she was with the Delaware Center for Delaware Justice. Center for Justice. Okay. So this legislation is going to be uh, reviewed by the by the Judiciary Committee, Darius Brown's committee. <clears throat> Got it. What are Townsend and Sturgeon? What were their their this was their input to you? You were down speaking with them? Or? Yes, okay. they're on board. They are sponsors for the bill. All right, but you know it's Darius's bill. You know he's the head head of the Judiciary Committee. Politics and and the games that are played that. I don't understand the rules too. Yeah, get, if you if you actually me. if you do figure it out, if you let all of us know, that would be great because we haven't figured it out either. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. Tonight. Well, you said something about uh, there about the sense that it's his bill and therefore they should kind of like leave it to him and stay in their lane. Um, and I think it's it's interesting. Recently, we've heard th these are Townsend's words, you know, because he's on the Judiciary Committee too. Yeah, and him him being around for a little bit longer. And him also being a, a white man who has respect in the uh, the legislature down there, I just felt could do more, could could say something, could stand up. And he told me I'd go to the mat for yeah, I go to the mat for this, go to the mat for that, not go to go to bat for her, but he goes to the mat for this. Meaning he, he fights for her. you know. I, I wrestled in school, so I went to the mat as a boxer. You know, I, I go to the mat. I fight for what Hopefully it is. Hopefully, put somebody right. else on the mat. We 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 all got to be on the mat. We we all fighting. And then after the fight, you know, we shake hands. He, as somebody that already is a sponsor, we shook hands after the conversation. Mm -hmm. Even though I tried to put fire in him, I tried to inspire him to do more to help Darius. I if Darius is getting knocked out, if it's not something that's going to pass for whatever reason, whether it be because of the firefighters or the police union or whoever it is that's on the other side, you have to do everything that you can to advocate, to express the, the need for this bill to pass this year. And he yeah. said that he uh, he sets pessimistic uh, expectations. He sets, <coughs> sets a low bar. Yeah, so well, let me. Here, here's he doesn't my, think it's gonna pass. He said. Here's my uh, commentary, as somebody who's just I'm an observer. I'm somebody. Uh, Eugene Young calls me a political aficionado. Okay. So I'm, I'm just like a connoisseur. Connoisseur. Amen. Uh, so I'm looking. We're watching. We do espionage. We do little things where we try to find out what people are doing, and we have a pretty good feeling for what people's 
sort of where they're at. A different type of watching than just political hobbyism. This is more engaged. This is seeking to... This seeking is seeking to, to get s- influence and to mobilize. This is seeking to get to dirt understand. on people and then to embarrass them on this podcast and put it <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> Brian Townsend, uh, you know, he he won a very important um, race when he ran, and it was it was good to get him elected. Brian Townsend is on a particular career track. And that career track is part of the same system that levies the fines and fees. You feel me? Well, this is like in so, a very broad sense, yeah. Y- yeah. Yeah. So his career track says anything you introduce right out of the blocks, we can't do automatically. We're not doing it. He's not going to come right out and say it, but this is what he's thinking. Because anything like that has to go through the ringer for two, three, four terms. And then somebody else, as you as you very astutely noticed, when it finally does pass four years from now, somebody else will get the credit. Not the Center for Justice, not Darius, maybe Brian Townsend. But that's the way, and again, I'm a very cynical person, but I, it's been my experience that that's the way these things work. We've had politicians from Dover that sat right in that seat, one I can think of right off the top of my head, who will tell you that. These are how the things work. They will not... The, 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 the Delaware State Legislature is there to... Sounds slow. like you've already figured out the rules to this game. <laughs> uh, well, I mean... It's one thing to figure out the rules to the game. It's another thing to be able to like figure out then how to play it. Because they here's the trick of it. Here's the trick. I know the trick. I just we have to do it is to get political power. Because I can tell you how they're doing it. I'm pretty sure I know why they're doing it. We have to figure out how to inspire and rally and organize people because we have more people to take the power back to do it the way we want to do it. We're going to rally for Yahim. We're going to rally for five. Yeah, this is what we have to do. What's, People need to start realizing this is what we have to do. Let's do SB 39. Right. And, SB then let's, 39. and then let's go to Yahim. Because yep. I think, you know, as you as you said, this is all part of a broader system. This is all connected. But I think S, the SB 39 issue, what it's trying to address in particular, speaks to, speaks to what you just said about getting political power through force of numbers. And it's very difficult to do that when the institutions are stacked against you. But I think I, I think this it's not purely an economic and judicial way of disenfranchising and keep people and keeping them down. Obviously that also plays out in civic engagement. If you deprive people of sufficient education, if they then, for instance, drop out of high school, hit the streets, get into trouble, or even if they make a minor mistake, like a traffic ticket and you keep them wound up in courts and wound up with court debt that piles up and you don't you don't it's not that you even neglect their financial position uh you're you're actively apathetic about it from a government perspective then you continue to pile first of all wait fees on on top of the stuff that they already can't pay you suspend their driver's license now they don't have a job and for forget if you know if if you're just trying to scrape together day to day like that, 
Forget even thinking about politics. Forget even really voting. And if, 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 no, you, because you're just trying to keep things together. And what you guys said earlier about warrants, warrants and KPS is your civic duty is to stay alive at that point. Yeah. And so I think SB 30, as much as important, and I think we have to get to Yahim, but I think if you want to talk power and, and numbers and a movement to empower the broader public, yes, we got to think about policing and we've got to think about the, the policies. So this, this is how it all connects. We're talking about Yahim, you said. We're talking about people that are experiencing all kinds of trauma, all kinds of poverty-related issues, not having a home, not having a job, not having what it is that they need to survive. Imagine not having your son, not having your wife or your husband, not having who it is that you love because they got locked up, because they got shot. And it comes down to apathy. It really does. Because in, and that's part of the thing, one of the things that SB 39 is trying to, to address it from the very start. You know, all this, it only becomes a debt spiral with the late fees and the driver's license suspensions. But the, the bill goes even before that and says, we can't continue to have apathy about the lived experiences of these people. You know, I think if you're talking about someone not caring whether they pull the trigger or not, what are the consequences of that? That's obviously a very different type of apathy. The consequences are much more serious and immediate and, and potentially tragic and catastrophic to a person, to a As family. a police officer, if you're pulling the trigger, you should be held accountable. You should have a body camera on you. I believe that every officer across this country should have a body camera on. And if officers are going to continue to kill unarmed black men, women, and children, they shouldn't have guns anymore at all. It comes back to this, I, 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 I totally agree. And I think it comes back to this idea of how, you know, how the state, how, how we as a society also treat people and, and kind of take them take them as they are and 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 really have empathy and understand their positions and then base our treatment of of them on you know what we can reasonably expect them to get done sb39 breaks down to you got to hit this you got to hit this from the start when the initial fee is imposed because it's not just it's not just enough to say let's stop punishing people for for not being able to pay those fees. How about you start not not levying a fee against them that they can't not levying because it's not levying a slate of court debt because it's that would be both the fine and the attached fees together that they can't pay in the first place. And that's why you've got to come at it with uh, you have to give the person the opportunity first of all to show up to the court because like D said, if if they're in a tough financial situation, even showing up to the, to court is is an expression of we the met fact homeless they, they people last week that. Or homeless, you know, who knows how they even got the mail saying that and they're they had court. They're still being responsible citizens, even though still we're still coming we're, to court. We're not giving them any any type of leniency, any type of understanding or empathy at all, and they're still trying to make things and work. still getting a bill. Exactly, and so the first thing that SB thirty nine does this one of five things, but this is huge because you got to take it from the beginning. It's you allow the defendant in question to present a statement of their financial situation to let them state all their sources of income and all their expenses, whether that, you know, food, if, if they're paying for childcare, 
um, if if you know they got to keep the lights on, the electricity and water and all that, allow them to actually state what they're going through, because um, you know then then there's some accountability in the system too, because then you you know you have it down on paper and you say, hey, this is this is where I am. This is how much I can actually pay. So let's do this. Let's do a little game. That's point number one. I'm gonna. Uh, one of five. One Great. of five things. Uh, yes. I'm gonna, I am gonna. hope you'll indulge me. Yeah. So here's what I'm going to do. I think that's excellent. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you what I think, and maybe if you get a chance to lobby people like Brian Townsend or Laura Sturgeon, you can direct them to the stuff I'm saying, and maybe it'll soften them up. They're already on board, believe it or not. Yeah, but here's the issue. <laughs> They're not using the full power of the I don't think. I don't think people should have to go to court and prove to somebody what their utility bills are. I don't think people should have to go to court and prove to somebody how many jobs they work or what their pay stubs are. I don't think they should have to do any of that. I don't think that fining poor people is a way, a mechanism whereby we make money. I think that whole system is fucked up. So It's illogical, too. So... This one should be very easy because basically you're making poor people and working people jump through hoops just to prove that they can't pay their $25 or $50 fine. I find that actually offensive, but it's really the least they could do. You're oh, so, oh, so I'm going to write down for number one, it's the least you could do. Number one. That's a very good point because... It's the least you could do. Yeah, because you, you talk to some people and some people are, are less willing to trust folks in a really fucked up financial situation to to actually be honest about you know their day-to-day -day life and they have to say oh there has to be some sort of accountability in the system and yeah they have to make people jump through hoops uh, i let's go to number 2 yeah so number 2 um <laughs> that's the argument that you hear they say oh well they they've got this and they've got that they can afford it they've got a that's pair of Kobe's on that's all bullshit we're not we're not <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not we're not we're not entertaining that bullshit anymore <laughs> Not in this so, case. so yeah, you're right. It is really the least they can do. So ask, ask you know, if if you are still going to make the people prove that they actually can't pay this because they can't, um, if you're going to still make them prove it, then allow them to prove it in court, and then give the judges the discretion to say, hey, let's not give everyone the same slate, the three hundred dollars slate of fines for a parking ticket. If they can't pay, why don't we waive some of the fees? Give the judges that discretion. Because currently their hands are tied in a way, so that's the first thing is to just start with not imposing a fee that you they can't that can't be paid. The second and third things, however, um, you know, if if you get into a situation where you are still under a, an extremely crushing financial burden from from an emergency uh, expense like this, the second and third mechanisms that this bill would cancel. Um, are really the mechanisms that create a debt trap or a debt spiral, spiral, and they're they're connected. So there there are additional late fees if you miss a single payment on your payment plan, you get saddled with more late fees. Um, and and there have and we've actually we've done the homework on this. The campaign for debtors prison has. We've gone to the Department of Corrections and asked them for numbers on the um, on the number of level five detention admissions for um, related and like people. This will show up. People will get admitted to detention because, you know, someone decided to call in the the, the KPS for them missing a payment. 
um, you know, it, it can be counted as a violation of your probation if if that's tied in. Um, if, if that's and you're still to getting a, fined when you're going to court from jail when they're bringing plan. you in from prison you're still getting fined to go to the court so it keeps on piling up so it's just rolling up <laughs> exactly it doesn't stop it's the Ferguson thing we were talking about before yeah it got exposed after the Michael Brown thing mm-hmm. it's just a way it's just a way to pile it up like you said that yeah and exactly. you can you can never you can you can never dig yourself out because you can pay the first thing in the first place. So how are you supposed to pay extra stuff on top of that? If you miss the first payment, how are you going to make the later ones? So that's the second thing. No more late fees for non-payment, you know? And then, because it's just putting you in a worse financial situation. The third thing is no more driver's license suspensions. How, and, and first, the most, the most obvious thing, and this is crucial, because the most obvious thing is how in the hell is the person going to get to their job? How are they going to get anywhere, do anything, maybe provide, you know, can they take their kids to school if they can't drive? If you deprive them of the ability to make money, then the form of punishment, first of all, you're punishing them for not being able to afford something. You're punishing them for poverty in the first place, which is screwed. But then you're taking away, your form of punishment is taking away the means by which they defy that extremely crushing financial situation and yeah and this is one where this is this is particularly this is particularly despicable mm-hmm. because it takes a, a fee a fine some kind of court fee something like that and ties it to just something unrelated it's just like punitive like okay you know you 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 know you were you were homeless for a while you got caught up in court you got these fees. You tried to pay them off. Now you got a late one. Now they're gonna. Now you finally got back on your feet. They're just gonna do something completely. It's like saying you can only you can only go to the supermarket one day a week. It's just it's fucking arbitrary. It doesn't make any sense. It's a punishing and, blow and that doesn't benefit anybody. It's just it's it completely just punitive. It's completely it punitive. Uh, it's completely punitive and garbage. And I would make if, if somebody was in front of me saying we can't do this, I would make them defend it, and I would make them tell me that it's. It's just punitive because we can, because we want to make money off of the situation. I want that, like I would want them to say that to my. But face. I'd like, I'd like to also point out that we're not making money off of this, oh, this situation. This situation, we're even, we're not even yes. doing it. If you want to be truly cynical about it, you know, obviously the reason you reason you should support this bill is because it's going to help people out. You're going to help out working people. You're going to help out fellow Wilmingtonians and Delawareans. You know, if this gets passed in Dover. Um, but if you want to come at it from a purely mercenary standpoint, the state is bleeding money on this issue. You know, if you want to say, oh, well, we we have to make people pay up. You know what? We have to we, we have to rely on that revenue. Well, first of all, we're not even tracking the revenue that we assess and collect from this properly. You know, we, the campaign's been trying to FOIA, FOIA and 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 get figures from the state auditor and from the courts and the state auditor. We're we're not we're <laughs> not. <laughs> We're not able to get figures because we're not keeping track of it. So nobody Got something to say, Carl. If you can get, if you can get like a, if you can get a slide whistle in there for the we state don't know auditor. where the money's going at all. We're a, <laughs> she doesn't. There's a lot of things she doesn't know. But but the thing is, like, we're not tracking it, so nobody can make the argument that we would lose on money money on this. Also, I had this conversation with Margaret and a few people. Exactly, too. you already like, know the story. Yeah, because I was like, well, I remember her first sort of going over this particular part of it. Yeah, 
uh, because we argued about like this shouldn't be a money making enterprise. It's nonsense. And it's I was like, well, how, 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 what, what is, what are the numbers? She's like, they have no idea. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that's great. They kind of, they can't even really say, well, this is what this isn't. But even if we don't have the numbers, we know that it's not cost effective because. If you're saddling people with extra financial burdens from an initial financial burden and you say, OK, we've got a KPS against them. We can we can go arrest them. We're going to bring them to justice and finally make them then pay up the stuff that they've definitely been avoiding for completely malicious reasons and not because, you know, they just are literally. literally One thing broke. I know about the money is that it's not going anywhere to help anybody that I know, anybody that I care about, anybody from my neighborhood. Exactly. It's, it's more it's more expensive to try to enforce all this court debt because people can't pay it in the first place. You're paying for enforcement and you're getting nothing nothing out of it because no, ma- no matter how much you try to squeeze people, you've deprived them of the ability to get any more money to pay up to you, which you probably shouldn't have to do after, uh, definitely after the, the initial fine and in the first place. There's so, people so number four. I, I want to say one thing. Uh, yes, hit it. There's people who can't pay, who shouldn't have to pay, who are sitting there in court that are telling these people that are taking the money, not the judges, but the people that come clerks. and set up payment plans, oh, these yeah, clerks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're telling them, you can garnish my social security. I just got diagnosed with cancer and I'm unemployed, but you can you can garnish my social security. Yeah, you talked about this guy back in October. I'm, I'm pregnant right now and I'm unemployed and I have an addiction on top of my pregnancy but you can take the you can set up this plan so you can take ten dollars a month out of this check that I don't get. I can I can pay you ten dollars. They're they, they get blood from the rot from the people that shouldn't be hurt by this system at all. They should they should help people that are here, but since they 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 have this problem and they've done whatever it is that they've done to be in court they now have to pay to be here and it doesn't go away you continue to have to pay over and over again over and over it, it doesn't stop you keep getting the bills forever they it doesn't yeah. stop so those first three things it's the first of all taking someone's meeting someone where they are taking their financial situation into account what you like you said the least we could do um and then not settling them with like waiving the uh, waiving the court debt that they can't pay in the first place and also canceling no more late fees no more punishing people for for their financial situation it's not fair it's not just it's not constitutional or american and then it's the same thing with the driver's license suspensions those first three things are what are are the most important parts of the bill um but there are, there are two other things those those three are the primary you know Stop stopping the primary mechanisms of this spiral of poverty, at least in contained in this one issue. The uh, the fourth and fifth measures in the bill are primarily uh, bureaucratic, but they're still important. Um, there should be there's an argument that the the fourth point is we have to actually start tracking this revenue, because it's it's only just and responsible that this state actually in some ways fesses up to how much it's actually assessing and how much it's able to get out of people because then we would be able to say, well, how much are we making off of this or losing off of this more likely? Um, Transparency. We'll call this, we're going to call this the Kathy McGinnis get to work. Boo! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so really, really cracking cracking the whip, so to speak, on, on 
auditors on people who are supposed to be tracking these payments in the first place. Um, obviously, it's the system is uh, obscure and convoluted and complex, but it's like it's people's jobs in within the government to to make sure that we keep track of this money, especially if we're going to if we have in the past been so ridiculously stringent and unforgiving about people paying up minute what is really minute amounts of money but hu but really destructive to them so if if we've said hey you have to pay up in the past then um the government should be able to track uh, and see well how how important was it for for the state for them to actually totally ruin ruin their livelihoods to actually squeeze this amount of money out of them so that's the fourth thing and the fifth thing um is also it's related to transparency on a more meta level, but it's really made to help the everyday lived experiences of defendants who, for instance, have to pay, uh, on the one hand, the fine for, for instance, a parking ticket and all the fees to the various funds associated with them. Um, we're arguing in the bill, the fifth and final measure is a streamlined system through which you can see all of your individualized itemized debts in one place because you're going to have, um, you're going to have court costs from a court appearance um, for a bunch of different funds. Some of those go to volunteer fire companies and ambulance companies, for instance. There is like a, a violent crimes fund, um, even if, you know, it's just a parking ticket and you had nothing to do with that. Um, there are a bunch of different funds that you have to figure out that you ultimately have to pay to. And if you have a bunch of tickets around the state, you also have to figure out on your own, unless you're willing to go and find a client advocate, um, how to do all this yourself. You got to figure out how to make the different itemized payments to the different courts. And for a person who, first first of all, was maybe not given access to super great education, um, or even if they did like go all the way through high school and defied the odds and not dropping out. Um, this is in, like incredibly convoluted legal, it's a bunch of legalese and it's hard to know if you're doing it right. So the fifth thing is just make a streamlined system, make a centralized system where everyone can see what payments do I owe, where to which courts in the state, you know, is it do I have something in Kent, do I have something in Newcastle, and be able to pay all of those and just settle them at once. Make it like, I don't know if you, what the process would be for making it an online portal, but that's what the bill would propose. It's a, it's a streamlined centralized payment system because you could actually make your payments or think that you're making your payments, want people want to pay the stuff off so bad they do not want to be holding out quote unquote on the government but even even after you you dodge all the the initial injustice of overfinding someone and the, the potential traps of late fees and driver's license suspensions you can still run against run up against the problem of this just being a system that's not designed for people especially for, for, for working people who have stuff to do. It's not that you don't want to pay, it's that you can't pay. Or you and don't understand how to because no one, yeah. they don't make it easy for you. You don't I even know what court. I, 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 I appreciate this because that was the first, that's the most detail that I've gotten. And I've, like I've heard different pieces of it, but never altogether. Maybe because now that it's the bill and now it's, it, it's being raised and been written, um, we can look at it. I, I get bugs up my ass. I, I might, I, I might, like lobby for this and 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 find out why this sh this shouldn't be done today. Yeah, like sort of break through that. Like, well, we'll put it in committee and then we'll have. We're going to be in Dover tomorrow. We'll have a task force. Yeah. What time are you going? 
we're eleven to one. Down. I think is the event. We're gonna be down there from eleven to one, so we're gonna have to leave what ten. I have a, I have a doctor's appointment, but I don't know what time. I might be out by ten. Who's driving down there? Well, I was gonna drive down. Dee was gonna come with me. But yeah, so that's just that's just kind of like an, an opening. Like, okay, we're in the second half of the 115th General Assembly. We're in the legislative session. Let's get down to work. Um, because, like you said, there's no reason for this not to be passed. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do something. I've had I've had um, uh, representatives in here that work in Dover. Um, I've had candidates who want to work in Dover. I've had people who uh, either are apologists or critics this, of this, Dover. This tomorrow is a, a meet and greet with these politicians that are making these decisions. So tomorrow we're going to have an opportunity to sit down with some of these elected officials and talk about the things that matter. Here's this the is put only together thing, by ACLU, right? Here's yeah. Here's yeah. here's the only my number one. I'm I'm not sure if my schedule allows it, but number number two is like I know a lot of these people. Yeah. And like when I turn up at something, mm. it can get weird. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> like I sometimes I do it's stuff that may like <laughs> I don't want to crash an ACLU party and then do something like the shit that I do because mm. they're doing their thing and I do my thing. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. You, you don't. You, we can. We can. We can rotate. We can. We can take turns speaking to legislators. So we gotta rotate. Yeah. I mean, that's no question about that. Um, no, I I like this. I, I, at the, we'll talk afterwards because I'm gonna check my schedule. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no reason not to pass this because it's it is it is literally it, needless. It's creating needless suffering. Going back to our our, our broader, uh, you know, political commentary about you know. A system that keeps people down and prevents them from even being civically engaged because they're like fighting every day for their lives to keep their heads above the water. This is a prime example of, of something that's completely unnecessary, actually illogical. We're, it's making us lose money, um, and and it's it's ruining people's lives. So no, absolutely zero reason not to put this into effect because um, it would it would save a lot of people's livelihoods and um, actually. The, the state would be a lot better off for it. It would make things easier for law enforcement. We've, we've wondered if there was going to be maybe some pushback or resistance from, from law enforcement. That's a good transition. We're back here in the Highlands Bunker once again in the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines in the belly of the beast. I'm flying solo. Tonight there's no, no Carl here, so if the... Uh, the audio is poor. I mean, we'll just go back to the first few episodes. You know who did it. Just blame me. Uh, tonight's guest uh, is running for uh, Senate in District 14. Uh, Kyra Hoffner. Kira. Kira. Oh. <laughs> Kira. K-Y-R-A. Kira. Kira. Little background on like that. The, like I'm the Greek. Yes. Kira. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for. I, I hear, and the funny thing is, I have a pronunciation problem, like with a lot of people's names, whether they're ethnic or whether whatever they are. Like I just, I, I like stumble over it when I'm reading or when I'm looking. Um, and we let it flow. If I if I mispronounce someone's name that we don't like, we leave it in. <laughs> mispronounced, and if if I don't, so Kira, Kira, Kira. Hey everyone, we have Kira Hoffner here. Um, so, uh, the first thing we normally do is just like talk about, um, 
where you're from, how you were brought up, um, maybe sort of, was there anything um, that sort of drew you towards uh, organizing or advocacy or, or politics and what was that, what that was like? Um, and then sort of maybe how you are, live where you are now, um, how you came to our little state. All right, uh, quick rundown. I grew up on Long Island. Uh, I am a daughter of a police officer growing up in the 70s. So that that is definitely interesting. Um, I don't know, you think of a daughter of a cop, she's a little on the wild side. <laughs> okay. But, well, I like uh, it. you know, a little rebellious. You know, you when your father's the, the police officer of the town and everybody knows you, you kind of get away with a little uh, bit so more. So it's like small town Long Island sort of thing. Yes. In the 70s, uh, Long Island looked like Delaware does, but down south. Like, I live below the canal now. Um, so that's kind of what Long Island was in the 70s. There was dirt roads going from the city out to Long Island, so it took longer. Now it's like a 40-minute ride <laughs> you know, with the super highways. Uh, my mom was a stay-home mom for many years until I was about 10, and then she started her career. My mom has always been political, always going, making it a holiday on voting day, always into it, and... Um, as kids, we didn't really listen to her. We didn't really uh, see the importance of it. But when she was growing, you know, as soon as she was able to vote, she went and did it. It was very important to all the women in my family. Um, so did that, grew up, got married very young, had two kids, and then decided Long Island was way too crowded. They were, developers were putting up houses where they shouldn't have been put. They squeeze a house on the tiniest lot. So we decided to uh, move and give our kids the kind of life that we grew up in. Small town, uh, you could walk, talk to all your neighbors, walking around. So what, what year was that? I moved to Delaware in 2004. 2004. Wasn't 2004. Okay, so 15, 16, yeah, 16 years Yeah, ago. 16 years ago. Okay. Cool. So we bought, built our house in Lipsick. Lipsick is actually very northern Dover. Yeah. Um, there's about 66 houses in the town. I could walk to Sambo's from my house and get crabs. And that's something I did on Long Island a lot. Uh, we're actually putting in a dog park soon in the little town. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a funny, uh, I was looking at it today. The the, the district, the Senate district itself is, is um, sort of like a trapezoid shape because on the eastern part, it goes from like North Dover. Uh, where where you are, Little Creek up all, to Port Penn, all yeah. the way, you know, all the way to like almost Delaware City. We're on the western side, you know. It kind of goes from maybe Smyrna to Middletown, so it's a little more doesn't go as far as far north there. I guess uh, maybe it has something to do with Middletown's population, uh, right? I don't right. know, but it's it. Yeah. So what's the uh, what's what's your feeling about the district as a whole? Sort of when you look at it and you kind of make a decision. That this is something that you you might want to get at. So what? Just they need me. <laughs> That's what I think. They okay. need me. That's fair. I have the energy. The people that have been there have been there a very long time, and the district has changed. Uh, even since I've moved in, it's changed. Developers again coming in and putting houses every on every square inch they can. So I I like to slow down the developers and keep some open lands, so we could preserve what we had. Um, we're having a hard time right now with our firefighters. We're not really getting volunteers. And what's happening in our area, and it has happened to me, 
All our kids are leaving. As soon as they graduate college, they're leaving to get better jobs or jobs that are paying a living wage. Um, the job my son's doing now in Pennsylvania, if he was to do it here, he would have to be a volunteer. So we got to kind of change that around a little bit. Uh, the fire department, they need volunteers. But because everyone's kind of like stuck in their ways, they don't want to go outside the box to figure out how do we talk to 25-year-olds to convince them to volunteer. And that's something I want to bring into the area. Stuck in their ways is, is when I when I looked at the Ooh. map, I kind of, I kind of, <laughs> that was one of the things, I don't, maybe not in so many words, but I was like, wow, that's, that's really. I mean, they you, did a lot of good. There was a lot of good that happened there, but now I want to take it into the future. So mm -hmm. before we get into the, before we get into the, primary challenge let's just talk about your background a little bit mm -hmm. um so sort of what jobs have you had what have you, um what sort of organizing have you done before um okay so well before um all right let me start like way back so okay. i i used we to have all <laughs> do it all right so i i used to work for mortgage companies i worked for a few brokers i worked for wells fargo i worked for american home mortgage when the housing crisis came I had a bunch of people that needed to move into houses that day, and uh, they moved out of their old house, and the bank called us up and said, we have no money. So I went through the whole crisis of that. And that was like, I thought, the ultimate job, meeting all different people, helping them achieve their dream of home ownership. And it just felt good, like going to the closing and somebody who thought they could never own a house, I'm handing them the keys. So... I did that for a while. The crisis came along, and I, I just wasn't feeling good. Think, things were really bogging down my body. I was burning the candle at both ends, trying to raise my kids, trying to do good at work, and it just wasn't working. So in 2008, I re August of 2008, I retired. I was like, okay, I'm done with this. A couple, uh, couple of years later, I had my first heart attack. So... Um, I went to the local walk-in because, you know, I'm young. I didn't, <laughs> who thinks I'm having a heart attack? Went to the local uh, walk-in and uh, that's when the opiate crisis first started. So they instantly thought I was a drug seeker. Instead of even like checking me out, they gave me a shot of morphine, sent me on my way with three different prescriptions for opiates. I knew I was something was wrong, so I basically just said to my husband, take me to the hospital right now. And they were like, yes, you're having a heart attack. So when you have a heart attack, it's not the actual act of having a heart attack. It's the mental side. You think, oh my God, I'm going to, everything that's going to happen to you, you're going to die. Something's going to happen. Well, after a little while, I realized, nope, once you have one heart attack, that's not going to kill you. <laughs> so when you have that life and death experience, you, you change, you just change. Um, I just started everything I wanted to do. I thought everything I was doing with the mortgage thing was helping people. And then I realized that's not really helping people. Freedom, having equality, a living wage, that's helping people. So about four years ago, uh, a little over four years ago, I started going to D.C. and I was totally intimidated by going to lobby in this big city, you know. Um, and it took me about maybe twice going there met nancy pelosi met a few people and i was totally comfortable and i was like this is what i need to do i need to take what the people in the communities want and take it to these people they're intimidated to talk to and talk to them 
and get and get what we want. <laughs> yeah, we were talking. Um, I wish I could remember. We've done a few recordings in the last two weeks, and the kind of we've been running together. But we talked about like breaking the spell of going to whether it's Dover or going to D.C. and lobbying and doing that. Like they they create a setting with marble floors and yeah. polished mahogany and, and, and bronze busts of, of governors and oil paintings of all the governors. Or, you know, when you go to the Hart Office building, it's just this beautiful atrium. It's intimidating. It's, it's intimidating. It's meant to intimidate. Right. I mean, it was built, D.C. was built that way for a reason. Um, but, yeah, when you get there and do it, it's sort of, it, yeah, it, the myth sort of falls away. You're like, oh, I'm just talking to this person. They're actually not. I'm smarter than they are. I, so I like, I'm amazed. I, I feel good about this. <laughs> yeah. I can do this. Yeah. yeah. I'm amazed when even in Dover, when I go and I talk to legislators about certain bills that are so important to our community, and they haven't even read it yet. I know more about the bill than they do. Yeah, and, and what what people generally say is like, um, you know, these are just representatives. They have certain. Some of them have certain core issues, and they're they're working on one or two things, but the rest of the stuff. They don't really know about, and they're open to be lobbied, um, which I I still find I still find that a little strange. But I guess you can't be up on every sort of you can't be up on the details of everything. Right, that, there's I, a lot of that I understand. But yeah, I, you know, a lot of them have sort of specialty things, or a lot of them are there for either you know sort of just gone through the motions, um, or they want to get into pictures, or they just want to have that their name that's a, you know piece of power for them. And so they're not really interested in doing too much. They want to do as a little, the least, the, the less you do, the, the fewer things you accomplish. Uh, the, if everybody does that, there's no, there's no real in. There's no way to say, well, I, I'm going to run against this person now because I don't think anything's happening. Well, what did they do? Well, they didn't do anything. That's the problem. The status quo. But then what, 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 what has the whole chamber done? Well, they haven't done much. So how, it's, almost, it's, it's almost a way to insulate yourself from criticism, she's like, "Well, I didn't do anything, but nobody did anything, so there's nothing you can do." Um, and and that's sort of, I think, what folks like you can can break apart. Yeah, it, it has to be about the people, and when, once you're there for a certain, I definitely believe in term limits because you become part of the machine. Um, just like when I was with the banks, I became part of the machine. It, everything just becomes like mundane, and it's like, okay, this is what I have to do, and there's no incentive or, or I, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for, for them to go out and say, okay, he, here's a bill that just kept dying for the last 10 years. Why aren't we doing it? We have a homeless problem. We've, in 2015, 2017, bills have come up to protect the homeless, but they just keep dying. So we need somebody who's not going to let it die and just keep pushing forward and fighting for what's right. I'm just so glad so many candidates and people are bringing it up, that particular and, and other issues like that, because the first thing to me we have to do is convince people that these are human beings right. that we that we owe a solution for. Um, it's not like, it's not an overarching problem like a, like a blob that we need to like manage or as it, as it is in the city here with the mayor, try to push it out and use, you know, the, the enforcement of certain ordinances or making sure that money doesn't get to, um, for homeless beds or for addiction services or whatever to try to get it out. 
Um, but that's uh, I mean, it's just the wrong way to look at it. It's not. Yeah, it's not fixing the. Problem. And and at least people are are starting to say like, yeah, this something's really wrong here, and pointing it out. Uh, we're and trying all to convince... one paycheck away from being homeless. Yeah, I mean, it's a, there's a, there's a thing people talk about just in regular politics and trying to break that sort of the economic spell that people are under. It's a big Bernie bunker, so it's something that Bernie Bernie makes this point all the time. Um, you know, almost everybody you you know or meet or see on a daily basis is far closer to being homeless than being an oligarch. Yep. Yeah. Um, but most people don't. They don't. Their politics isn't that. Don't have that perspective. You know, if if your son or daughter hasn't, you know, bankrupts you because of a, a medical thing, or you have a, a medical problem that you don't, you can't cover, or your 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 plan is so poor that, you know, you would have to come up with the ten thousand dollars and you don't even have. You, people, I have people don't have five hundred dollars. I have spectacular insurance. I mean, we pay twenty six hundred dollars a month for three of us, and with all my medical, we had a five hundred dollar bill every month, even if I didn't go to the hospital. That's just something we could have been spent spending on something else, you know? Yeah, and I think that these kind of stories and sort of pointing this out to people, I hope, gain some traction at all levels of, of government and all levels of politics because we, it can be done a different way. We don't have to prop up, you know, the, the, the way that's been, the Delaware way. I want to look this up because I wrote this down. You, you mentioned this because I couldn't remember. I knew that, um, your opponent in the primary had been in Dover a long time. Mm -hmm. And then when I saw it, I said, oh, he's only been there since 07. That doesn't make sense. But he was a rep from 82 to 2007. Yeah. He's like 80 or 81 years old. He's and, eight, Well, he'll be 81 this year. He's, he's, all, he's a very nice man. Here's, here's, here's <laughs> what, I, I'm not going to track. I, I, I actually, there are, there are uh, politicians in here that I'll trash. I don't know a lot about Bruce Ennis. Um, the one, the things I know about him, I don't like, be, but not because of him personally. Right. Because we have a problem in this state that um, that the police just go on after they get a pension and go on and do, you know, just do a, f a ceremonial job. And you look at the bills that he sponsored; they're just ceremonial. You know, it's fine. You know, I, I'm glad that somebody's talking about. You know, veteran stuff. I'm glad somebody's talking about, you know, uh, the fire, the fire department. Like, uh, that's cool. Yeah. But, I mean, 82, dog. You retire from the state police in the 70s, and then from 82, you're just, you're just turning up. I mean, isn't enough enough? That's the way I look at it. I'm sure he's a, he's a good enough fella. Like, I'm sure we have political, you know, disagreements about probably everything. Um, but it's just he, he's a, he's a perfect sort of avatar of sort of what we're fighting, and I think people don't get it because it's an inter-party primary, and it's like this is an incumbent. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Right. But but right. that's they're mm -hmm. just as much of a of a of an uh, obstacle to change as anybody, because they're just they're 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 ossified. You know, there's nothing going on. But I notice a lot of def deference, deference paid to incumbents when there's really no reason for it other than ceremonial. Yeah. I mean, are you ha, with in your interactions with the community? Sort of, what is their take on on 
you know, challenging and complex uh, that people know that's been around oh, so long. Everyone's first reaction is, oh, I love him. He's grandpa. And then after I talked to them for a little while, I could see their demeanor change. And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, like on any subject I'm talking to the people on, their first reaction is I love him and that they'll always support him. But then, you know, we have to also, oh, okay, I had my heart attack at 37. Anything could happen any day to anyone. Like what happened to the times where uh, the generations that became before us did retire and then if somebody new came in and needed mentoring or help on how to do something they can go to that person why does everything have to be a fight and volatile you know like it's just um let's make it a nice thing <laughs> you know yeah i i guess look. Like it's said, for I'm not... the community. It's not about me. It's not about him. Let's do this for the community. Completely agree. And I do want to say something too, because I know, at least for me, like, I this is not an ageist argument. Like, if if you know, obviously, I, I mean, I, I, there's there's no bigger Bernie Sanders supporter in the state maybe than me. <laughs> um, but but the age, so that age isn't necessarily important because Bernie Sanders is the, is the leader of an energetic movement of of something new and it's a different way to do things making an argument to to, to do something revolutionary mm -hmm. now if bruce ennis was making an argument to lead a movement and do something revolutionary i wouldn't care if he was 110 but that's not what's happening so again it's just a point of like okay you had a full career with the state police now you've had two careers um you know in dover and it's not like you know I, and I, it's cool that your I mean, your constituents should know who you are. You've been there long enough. I mean, like, you, like that's not. And I'm not really... quiet. I'm not a quiet person. Yeah, I mean, that's that. And I just wanted to point that out because I know people are sensitive to that, and rightfully so. I'm sensitive to it myself because of of Bernie and that movement. So you know, it's not necessarily an. It's not age. It's not ageism. It's, you know, are, are you taking an active? Are you are you being an active participant for the community? Uh, are you able to execute on things maybe the community wants? And it just looks like the office is just stagnated um, out out of like sort of normalcy. Just I do, we do this every time. Every, yeah, yeah, it's part of. Uh, but I, I, I do feel like sometimes people are labeling me an ageist, but I am the youngest member of the League of Women Voters. You know, I, I've been well, with I was them. Just, so the League of Women Voters is known as a, as if, I mean, Anybody under 50 is going to be, they're going to call that person like kid in the League of Women Voters. Isn't that right? <laughs> That's sorry, me. Sorry, League of Women yeah. Voters. But I love them because of all their knowledge and experience. And I can, you know, they've been around long enough to say, hey, you know, this is what happened years ago. And this was the turnout. Yeah. You know, so I'm getting their knowledge. I'm getting their experience all crammed into one. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's actually pretty great. Yeah, I want to be able to, like, once I, uh, I am senator, I would like to be able to call uh, Senator Ennis and say, this is what's going on, this is how I want to handle it, how would you handle it, you know? Yeah, I, I like that, actually. I, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because, again, I don't, I don't know him almost at all. I've seen some stories about things that have happened, and he just seems like a regular guy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, from a political standpoint, you know, I think, I would hope that people would see, 
that that change in this sense, especially the way you're talking about it, where it's not drastic. It's just somebody who's going to take more of an active role, more active role, and 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 take counsel from people like that. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Now my active role kind of is more. I'm more into the criminal justice reform. Um, cool. So hit your big hit your big I, topics. I, I on definitely. You know, right now the death penalty just keeps coming up at Leg Hall, and I'm way against that. I I can't even stress. We have so many people in prison right now that are potentially innocent. <laughs> you know, um, they're sitting years and years in pretrial. They haven't even been convicted yet. Sometimes they get to trial and they're like, "Okay, time served. You've been there long enough." Um, we have we have a case right now. Emerald Daniels. He was in jail for thirty eight years. He was innocent. We have a bill sitting there that can give him financial compensation. We took this man's life away. But yet this bill is kind of just like hanging around. It's on the ready list, but it's not coming to the floor, you know? Yeah. When, when you, and, and again, this, this, this is a type of issue. Um, so this is just compensation we're talking about for a wrongly, wrongly convicted. Right. Right. Delaware is one of the, like, there's only a few states that don't uh, compensate people. Now, I do have a personal story along with that. My husband's father went to prison um, for 12 years for murder, and he was innocent. Now, after five years, they knew he was innocent, but New York didn't know how to open the door. So uh, they stopped him talking to his reporter, uh, to his lawyer. So this reporter, Ed Mowry, who actually won a, pri a Pulitzer Prize for getting him out. So the way the system treated him, like... We, the family had a bunch of people helping out, but Emerald Daniels, 38 years, he doesn't have any family yet left. So how is anyone helping him out to find a lawyer, to sue the state, to, no, we should compensate this man and apologize to him. Nobody's apologized to him. We're locking up people for the stupidest reasons and letting other people walk free because our jails are, are full, <laughs> you know? Yeah, this is a, I mean... On the death penalty specifically, I saw it come back up earlier last week, maybe. Yeah, there's and, two and, bills floating. And all around. I could think of was, what, what, what year do they think we're in? Like, there's a, there's a, there's a famous story, and uh, Carl and I is not here. I wish he was here; he'd remember the details. But, um, in the in the 1950s, uh, they ban. They banned sending people to the whipping post. We were the last state to do, but you had every county still had to have it somewhere in case it came back. That was like the I guess, oh my God. that was the Delaware that was the original Delaware way compromise. Yeah. <laughs> so finally, finally, Russ Peterson in the in the seventies, I think I want to say seventy six or seventy seven again. Wish Carl was here. Um, finally banned it outright and disassembled them. Like, look, we're not putting, we're not going to have a whipping post at prison in nineteen seventy seven. And all I can think of is we're doing it again. Right. It's this archaic, ridiculous thing. Like we're not going to be, we're not in the business of killing people. We got to stop even th considering that. There is no, um, you know, there, there, there. It doesn't deter anybody. It's, it's completely racist. It's used in an arbitrary fashion. And again, to your point, even people who are in prison for, not, not for, uh, not on the death penalty, or not even maybe life, the state has every reason to pretend like we're not going to do anything. Like, it's wrong. We know something's wrong. But for the integrity of the whole system, we have to pretend like it's not wrong. And, yeah, I... 
Right, like they, they named two uh, police officers that were killed. Um, uh, uh, Captain Ballard, that was bad. That was bad. That happened in... in Anybody getting killed is bad. The, it, it was, yeah. It's not good. And then they're talking about the correctional officer who was in Vaughn prison with the overcrowding. And they, the prisoners tortured him and they did terrible, terrible things. Yeah, we've talked about that pretty extensively here, too. Well, why aren't we looking at why it got to that point? You know, we're not hiring. You know, they're all excited that they hired 13 new uh, correctional officers that just this past year. But you're spreading them out through the state. So it's not really fixing the problem that we were facing with this overcrowdedness. And I, I can't believe everyone has totally forgot that we sent a bunch of our prisoners up to Pennsylvania. <coughs> We're paying millions and millions of dollars to house them there. Yeah, we talked about that in one of our Vaughn, uh, one of our Vaughn uprising episodes, <coughs> because the prison that they're go that they've been sent to has a very very bad record. Um, I think there was a I want to say it was Maine, but there was another state because that that I guess that prison had but so they could accept on on the month you know, on contract taking these prisoners and enough of them started to die that they canceled the contract and brought them back now I don't know I don't know whether I don't know how many inmates we still have on this deal I don't know it's kind of hush hush now of course it, like everything it, yeah sure. um but again this goes back to I think what we were talking about at the beginning about homeless people any kind of marginalized group is just looked at like a homogeneous blob that we can all that we can treat as like not really a human problem. It's just people in prison because they did. We just assume they're all crooks. Uh, and, and why are we treating the poor as criminals? Yeah, we, 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 we <laughs> criminalize we criminalize people who can't pay their way out. So you know, uh, Yahim Harris. Uh, is in prison right now because he can't pay his way out. We've talked about that, but that's a huge thing. Yeah, I mean, we just treat these problems like uh, calculations, money calculations. Well, if we can pet this money and move this person. Yeah. But these are human beings, you know. And, and, and isn't prison supposed to rehabilitate somebody instead of, you know, putting somebody in a low-level uh, drug crime into prison with people who are doing harder crimes? All you're showing is this person with the low-level crime is these people are your family. You know, they're going to look out for you, not the social workers, not anybody outside of jail. So we're, we're just creating a bigger problem. Yeah, when you review some of the conditions, um, again, because there's no, there's no incentive to make it work. You know, the... That's the problem. Like you said, the, the idea what you'll what you'll be told is there's a there, you know there's a re rehabilitation that's going to take place and this is going to happen, but there's no incentive to actually execute. Yeah, it. yeah, no, it's not happening. So what's, right. <laughs> there's no program. So right because no. that because that's not a, a priority. No one's going to spend their money on people that we're trying to, you know, we're, we're trying to marginalize people. The system is there to marginalize people, not to. to they, we only play lip service and a little bit of money to tr to sh trying to show that we can even make the lie that it's for rehabilitation. That's the way I look at it. I I knew um I, wanna, I think his name is Anthony Stella. Uh, he was a uh, he's a chef. I met him at a wine tasting over here in the neighborhood, and he used to do um, like training in there and work with uh, a lot of inmates. And that that got cut. I think that got cut around the time he, around the time of the uprising. He might have even been. 
there at that time. I don't remember. But yeah, they don't. It's not a priority. No. Nobody really cares. I do. Yeah, we can't hear. <laughs> I do. Excellent. So, uh, so what other sort of so we had the death penalty obviously is absurd. Um, tr being able to get some compensation for wrongful imprisonment, mm -hmm. uh, we need to find out how many more people are wrongfully convicted. I mean, I, I, I bet you, I, I would suspect that the number is embarrassingly high. Yeah, we also have a lot of people uh, in prison right now for uh, violation of parole. So now we need to crack down on uh, the probation officers because now we're finding out the violation of parole is like missed a meeting or uh, missed curfew. That doesn't yeah. send you back to jail, well, yeah, you him, know? Yeah, him, Harris, uh, it was somebody in the house. So somebody in the house had a gun. So he now he violated or, Yeah, or Yeah, somehow. It was some other... It was some technicality like that. Mm -hmm. Either somebody in the house... Got got violated, so then they're violated or whatever. But it's with some technicality, like yeah, yeah. and it's just nonsense. So we're just it proves no it it, does, it serves no purpose other than the mechanisms of the state can apply those rules sort of however they want um, to ensure that certain people are where they need to be. Yeah, because it, uh, they're obviously. I mean, the rules are obviously applied in in terribly inequitable way. Um, to people that you know, we know why. Yeah, yeah. People um, of color, poor, obviously, um, not fitting in, not you know. Yeah, it's it's. I I I'm glad. So what else? What else? What else on the? Uh, okay, so healthcare. Criminal... Let's talk about healthcare. We're talking about healthcare. Because <laughs> so, we got to talk about. You know, we got to talk about because it's the big issue here. But we're gonna, well, I figured healthcare would get that into there. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. I like that. I like that segue. All right. So you know, I I have a little problem with this whole healthcare. Everybody keeps talking about. First of all, I think Medicaid for all is is a no brainer. We need to do that. I go to other countries. It's eighty bucks. You could have your arm set. You could have operations. Yeah. Um, but nobody's like really thinking back of why is our healthcare so expensive? And if we're thinking about our current administration in D.C. and think about back to nineteen seventy three when Nixon decide healthcare should no longer be an at service. So why? How can we get back to the at service? Medicare for all would help that situation out. But what we're doing with this current administration is just, I mean, he's cutting everyone's Social Security and Medicaid and Medicare. And so he's making things worse where we have a group of people, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, who are pushing so hard to make it right. We need the states to make it right. And then we could push back up on on D.C., and that kind of comes along with the cannabis, too. Okay, so in 1973, Nixon again. <laughs> you know, he's the one who created, he did it actually before 1973. He created the DEA. He created the whole, you know, like it's the devil's lettuce and stuff. And if you notice, back around then, from then until now, people's autoimmune disease has gone up. People are on more pills. That means people need more dialysis. So it's definitely related to it. We used to get this in our food through chicken, uh, cannabis through chickens, and whatever we were eating, whatever they ate, we were getting. So uh, neurological problems. 
your brain has a spider web over it. Every time you take a pill, that spider web is getting broken. So now we have an increase in dementia and Alzheimer's. I mean, everything is related. But guess who keeps making money off of this? Pharmaceutical companies. The hospital, our hospitals charge a crazy amount of money. My mom was in a, 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 a test for 15 minutes. It was $13,000. She doesn't have that money. <laughs> you know, Her insurance only covers so much of it. And so if we could just let people be more natural, stop putting pesticides on our food, let us have health care when we're sick, people will be less sick if they're on cannabis. I, <laughs> you, know? you know, I agree. I'm going to burn one down right down in, in, in your honor. For saying this. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 the way I look at it is um, I always sort of shied away from like the, the, the medicine label. Only because I didn't want to be disingenuous. Yeah, I smoke pot because it's I'm, it's I'm relaxed. You know, I have an anxiety issue, so I take a little bit of Zoloft and I smoke a lot of weed, and so I feel better. Right, you like, feel you, you like, feel so I, normal. Yeah, but I don't want to. Yeah, but I, and again, I don't even. People don't have to explain, you know, why they do and like why they drink beer because I want to have a beer. Or why, you know, I smoke a cigarette or, or, or take dip or, or whatever they did, whatever people are, are, you know, allowed to do. Um, they don't have to explain themselves. Right. But if they're, do even if they're doing it just for a, a responsible adult consumption and not have that label of medical on it, would it be so bad if everybody was a little healthier? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And again, and that's the thing. I mean, that's what I tell people too. You know, I smoke it because I'm old fashioned. Um, but. You can vape it, and the, the the nicotine vapes are bad because there's a bunch of chemicals in it right. you're not supposed to have. But if it's just THC concentrate, then it's just the same thing. It's there's no there's no carcinogen, so, exactly. so as far as they know. Um, which and I've I've been studying my whole I'm I'm a, I'm a case study, so we'll see what happens. To me. <laughs> so so far so good. So um, who's Willie Nelson? Come on, yeah, he's a case study. I, look, I've always said if it's good enough for Willie Nelson and Snoop Dogg, it's good enough for me. <laughs> Well, I, I am definitely should be the poster child for um, Delaware's medical cannabis program because I, the medical industry had me on so many pills. They, they, their prediction was I would be dead by 2021. They just kept loading me up with pills and loading me up with pills. And I just woke up one day and I was like, enough, <laughs> enough. Um, yeah. When I was younger, I smoked. You know, as you get older, you have kids, your house, car, you know, whatever. It's just not there. So the further I got away from it, the more and more sick I got. So um, I just decided to try it. And within six months, I was off every pill the doctor gave me. Um, they barely even would get, like they're amazed at how many things are fixed in my body now, you know, yeah. <laughs> and they can't explain it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no known overdose, and believe me, I've also tried to do that. Yeah, on occasions you can't do it, can't do it, folks. I do have to say, I know the cannabis community is gonna kill me for this, but I don't believe in vaping. I will dab, nice. but the vape has you don't. They're putting flavors in there. Uh, look, they're putting all sorts I'm, of stuff in there. I'm with you. I'm <laughs> you not know? gonna tell people not to do it. And the cool thing about it is, it's easy. You can travel with it because you know, right. So if you go, you know, you go here, go there, you can take a little bit and do it. Um, I don't like it because 
I, it doesn't, I, for some reason, I don't metabolize it the same. It doesn't do the same thing for me. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can control when I smoke a joint and smoke half of one and maybe 45 minutes later smoke the other half or whatever. But then, you know, when I take vape, I take like four pulls, then you're kind of high, but then you kind of feel sick. I'm like, it's I don't the really chemicals. Like this. Yeah, yeah they're putting really like chemicals it. in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm sort of with you just for old fashioned reasons. I don't mind that people do it. So I don't want a lot of, uh, you know, if you have, if you're an advocate and you want to complain, send a Highlands Bunker at gmail.com and we'll just ignore it. <laughs> we don't care. No, I don't care. Do whatever you want. You're yeah, an adult. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't like the know? other thing. That, the other thing that's, that's, uh, even better for you as far as I take is just edibles because you can just eat like a cookie. I like cookie. edibles. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now, I don't like edibles for sort of the same reason. I, I shouldn't say that. I like edibles, but it's like you eat half a cookie and then 45 minutes later, you're like, I guess I should wait, I should wait another 15 You should minutes. wait. <laughs> you should wait. Yeah, definitely wait. And then you're like, okay, I guess like two hours later, you're like, oh, I feel pretty good. I guess I could take the other half. I don't know. Like, it's always like, I, I, the the dosage part, or maybe it's just the waiting, like because depending you're on how waiting, much you've you're eaten, waiting. yeah, depending on how much you've eaten, uh, if you exercise that day, it's sort of sort eat of something fatty. It's uh, stronger. Yeah. Mangoes make it a little stronger. Oh, I like that. See, I never heard that. Yeah. Okay. So just certain foods. Um. Uh, but if if you're ill, if you're having any kind of internal Ill- illnesses, you should use edibles rather than uh, smoking. Yeah, that's the only thing is I've always wondered, like, the smoke itself is probably a little bit of an irritant to my lungs all the time, um, but it helps my radio voice. Mm. Uh, I don't know. If it I have another not. theory on that, but um, uh, I won't uh, even go into uh, it because I can talk about it for all day. Wait a minute. You can't just drop that you have another all right, theory. So you have, like, three billion uh, molecules in your lungs, yeah, yeah, and the THC just touches it for a second. And whatever issues you're having, COBT, asthma, it cures it. It fixes your lungs. I mean, I've, I've, like I said, I, <laughs> I've, been, I've been working on a lifetime experiment. It's worked so far for me. Yeah, um, I've had, had a lot of pa- patients that are now going to the different dispensaries in Delaware yeah. that had COBD, and now they have no issues. My, my mm-hmm. thing is, um, and, and this will be a good, I, I don't know if I've told this story, again, if Carl were here, he'd say, you said this already, but I'm going to say it again because you're here, and it's my story. So I, as you can tell, have uh, eye problems. I had them since I was a little kid. Um, so I developed later in my life glaucoma, which is just like pressure in your eye. Right. Um, so they tried a bunch of pill. they tried a bunch of drops, excuse me, different kinds, didn't work. Uh, they gave me a treatment with a laser, which helped my uh the fluid drain from my eye a little bit better but they said it's only temporary after six months or a year you probably have to do it again well that was like 12 years ago and so there's only been like within the last 12 years i think two times the pressure's gone over like the limit by a little bit and just immediately come back down so the only thing i've been doing different is smoking every day so i think that that i mean like i said i'm a walking experiment i think it worked but then i took those i took those so i said I'm going to get legal because it's a thing now. Mm-hmm. I'll take them there. But because my pressure has stayed low for the last year, I can't get it. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not acute angle glaucoma. I'm glaucoma suspect, which means I have glaucoma, but my pressure does not meet the threshold. They won't give me the prescription. Oh, that's funny. I just met somebody else that's having that problem. Weird, huh? Yeah. And I told him, I was like, look, I'm not trying to be like a jerk about it. I said, but glaucoma, you don't. 
it's not cured. You're either treating it or you're not treating it. Right, right. Like, well, you can go to your doctor and you can have the doctor write it up and come back. Or you can stop using it and then your pressure will go. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have any problem finding that. I'm just going to. Well, that, that, that's. <laughs> I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what upsets me about a little bit about calling it a medical uh, cannabis program in Delaware. Because every single person is different. And you want to have a professional who did study this uh, medicals and different different problems that people have. You know, not everybody wants to just take it in their own hands and say, okay, let's see what happens, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, I talk about COBD, but everybody's at a different level. I wouldn't suggest getting off any medication and running to do this. You know, y you need a medical professional to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's certainly, and that's the thing too, certainly if if you're looking to see if it's going to, you know, ameliorate some symptoms you're having for something, you know, serious. Yeah, yeah, definitely don't just start doing it. Just don't, it. yeah, like don't I, take it in your I'm own I'm talking hands. about like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like my glaucoma where people have pain, that's sort of chronic and you can you can figure it out. But yes, if you're being treated for something, this is our, this is our official uh, PSA announcement. Right, right. Don't <laughs> see your doctor, please. <laughs> yeah. Don't just listen to what we're saying and be like, oh, it'll work for me. No, like, you oh, gotta. Yeah, okay, I'm going to go off this. It's always funny, uh, not funny, just again, going back to the healthcare industry, you know, they, they put these adverts on television for different kinds of drugs, oh. you know, the dick drugs and this drug and that. But sometimes it's very serious. It's like, you know, some sort of cancer drug or some, you know, people are in serious illness and they're like, well, you know, if you're if you're anemic or you have this, you know, I'm like, yeah, if you're being treated for that, shouldn't your doctor be telling you like what to do? Right. Like, like I'm not I'm going not gonna... into my doctor and saying, yeah, give I me saw this. this. <laughs> like I'm being treated for like, you know, stage three bone cancer, but I, they, they said on television I should try this. But like, <laughs> like I, they're like, yeah, you're anemic or you have some other problem. If we give you that, you'll die. Like, oh. And nice. especially when you're really sick, you, you're not really listening to the doctor. So he could be rattling off five things that are wrong with you, but you're only hearing one. Yeah, so you always got to bring a buddy. Yeah. You know, y your health is supposed to be a partnership with uh, your doctor. It's not you go in and your doctor doesn't even look at you anymore and he just writes a script and hands it to you. He looks at the computer the whole time. Yeah, and I think the thing that people need to remember about Medicare for All is... The service, none of that, the doctors are still doctors. The office is still there. Most of the offices you go to, whether they're specialists or GPs or whatever, um, a lot of them take Medicare, Medicaid. A lot of them take, you know, the, the, the VA. People bitch about the VA, but actually it works pretty good. Um, so, yeah, like I think a lot of people think that actually puts that sort of, that puts that back into like a point of service at your doctor thing. Like you said, now your doctor can be like, yeah, we know, like, everybody who comes in with what you have, we know how to, we do the same thing. You know, it's not some rote thing for the insurance company, and then you have to go through some kind of procedure. It's just, it's just there. You just do it. There's no, you know, you're not going to get a bill for $425. You're not going to have to find out, like, here's a good one. I have to have, because of my eyes, I have to have certain tests, like, every six months. So it tests my visual fields to see if I'm going blind. It tests my optic nerve. It's different. I, I have different things I'm susceptible to because of my conditions, right? So there's three, there's three tests I definitely have to get every six months. And they'll pay for them every six months. But I can only get two of them in one visit. And then I have to come back a week later to get one the other one. Oh. Because so it's it just... 
yeah, they made it where if you get sick, it's a full time job going to the doctor. Yeah, it's it's just and you're so paying weird. them; they're not paying you. Yeah, and everything's <laughs> like a big calculation, like because of the copays and because of deductibles. And you're like, well, we we bring we get a discount, so we discount this, but then you still owe on it to get up to your deductible. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. like, well, what the? Yeah, I'm, I'm paying hundreds of dollars here. What am I getting for that? And it's basically, um, you know, you get the deductions and you get to keep your uh, what you have to pay reasonable and your deductible reasonable if you have a catastrophic thing. And that's pretty much it. And on the back of that, people make billions of dollars. Yeah. Very strange. Keeping people sick yeah. makes other people rich. It seems <laughs> like that's what that's what a lot of these decisions are based on, unfortunately. Mm. Making other people rich. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we hit so yeah, so we hit the healthcare uh, and the cannabis and the criminal justice stuff. Um are you looking to sort of foreground any any other issues or are you starting to hear issues that you might start to have to think about, you know, sort of talking about more? Um, well, I, I, I still, uh, I talk about a lot of issues. <laughs> you know, every time somebody brings me something, I'm like, oh, that's so important. We need to work on that. <laughs> but we, we, we still have another issue. We're both sitting here drinking water and, uh, you know, uh, I, I, the last couple of years I've been hyped on the water. We don't have good water in Delaware and Delaware is mostly water. So anything that's getting into the system, everyone is ha- is going to get eventually. Um, again, it comes back to the poor people. You look at Flint, Michigan, five years ago. They had a water problem. Now it's five years later. These kids that have been drinking this water, their brains aren't not just developing. They're actually shrinking. And because it's a poor community, nobody's doing anything about it. I'm actually meeting people that live near there, and they're like, oh, yeah, that they're not going to help that town. So yeah. that's been five years. We and have I, one here in Southbridge in Wilmington. Yeah. It's a low, it gets, uh, has the worst uh, sort of environmental problems because they put all the heavy industry down there. The water down there is terrible. They're finally finishing uh, some wetlands uh, to sort of exacerbate, or excuse me, uh, to ameliorate some of the flooding problems that they have, which should help because it's sort of a natural way to do it. But again, that's just because now they've put, you know, in the riverfront, they've put a bunch of development there. Yep. They built a big basketball arena. And so now they're like, oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to we're gonna fix this flooding problem for you. Well, great. You, know, <laughs> you know, never did it before. Yeah. Rich people might come to a basketball game here. We don't and now have, we can And we don't want to have to cancel it because it's flooded out. Yeah. So now we're going we're gonna to fix it. <laughs> Yeah, when I built my house in 2006, uh, we didn't have flood insurance, and now we have it. We, we were evacuated a couple of times. Yeah, I was like, say, that's pretty low. We're not that too. close, but yeah. Um, by the because third time, like between, they told me to leave. So you're like you're between Dover and like the the um, the wildlife or the uh, the Bombay Hook yes. Wildlife yes. Park. What's that? Yeah. Sambo's is famous. Oh, I, know. I know you live all the way up here, but <laughs> also yeah. this is a, a good part for part of commentary. Uh it's it's a Delaware thing. You know, they are very famous. The name is very problematic. Uh everybody knows that. <laughs> it is. It really it's horribly problematic. The the crabs are good. I'm not gonna <laughs> tell you they're not good, but then it's very problematic. But they also eat muskrat down there. So yep. Yep. That's the a thing. back end of roadkill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. 
So yeah, I like I, you know so I the, feel I know, water that's, that's is vital to our health. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, well, that that runs into the the, the development. Yeah, and and yeah. Um, they're having the same issues in Kent and and Sussex because around these farms, around the the, the big ag farms in Sussex. Mm-hmm. They have the issue with development in Sussex too, same thing. Did so it's going to be a big deal. They're putting it in Sussex County, I, I can't remember if it's Milton or Millsborough, 641 home development. Where are those kids going to go to school? We already have a problem with our overcrowding of schools and not enough teachers or vital staff members. Like, who is just letting all these homes go up? <laughs> you know, like. Doesn't, they don't take that into account. Because they don't really care. No, and they and you know what? I've been here 15, 16 years, and there's developments that are not even finished, and they go on to the next one, leaving big uh, cement piping and and just contractor stuff all over the place. You know, it, we need to slow down the development. People are moving to Del- Delaware because they like the space, they like the land. But if you're going to squeeze a house in between mine and my neighbors, I'm probably going to leave. <laughs> Yeah, it's just bad. I I think my position on it now is, you know, I'm always going to be against corporate real estate one way or the other. And now we have a real climate change issue mm-hmm. because when anything in the United States is underwater, we're going to be underwater first. Yeah, we're low. We're the lowest. Low. Yeah. Um, our our uh, our comrade and uh, and friend and uh, friend of the show. Um, Jordan Howell wrote a long article in last month's Delaware Today about just the effect of climate change on places like where you live, places down at the beach. But also, let's be honest, where we're sitting right now. Yeah. We're not, no, you know. It's January. It's February and it's 56 degrees out yeah, right now at nine, 8 o'clock at night. And three <laughs> weeks ago on a Saturday, it was 70. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, can't it's not, say it's not happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the other thing is people say it's happening, but they're like, again, it's sort of a late-stage capitalist thing. Like, I have money. I can probably, you know, I'm good. But what about their kids? What about their kids' they, kids? They don't care about that. No, they don't. If they're not going to see it, they don't care. They don't care about that. I got to go to Iceland two years ago, and I was on a boat, and the guy said, this used to be an iceberg. And then he started showing us all the icebergs. And I was watching big chunks fall off. So when you actually see it, it really motivates you to be like, okay, this is happening now. You know, we need to do something now. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's great that it's all part of things everybody's talking about. So at a national level, they're talking about the Green New Deal that has economic implications. Here, we're, we're talking about it because... You know, we're the lowest and people want to drink clean water. That goes back to Russ Peterson again. So um, you might not know this because you're not a Delaware native, but the same uh, the same guy that I mentioned that uh, banned the whipping post also was the guy who wrote the Coastal Zone Act to, to protect the wall. The, I mean, they're, they always, they're always trying to pull it back, pull it back, pull it back. But that was created by this guy, Russ Peterson, okay. the governor in the 70s, who was, oddly enough, a DuPont executive. But then he just turned, like he got to be the governor. He was like, "Well, I mean, we gotta take care of the state." Do you think it's odd that he was a Dupont executive? I think it's for... extremely odd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think the guys, the guys. I mean, he's he's a bona fide. Uh, I mean, he's dead now. He was a bona fide uh, environmentalist. 
I mean, he he championed the, uh, an incredible environmental state law, and it, and he worked for a, a company that poisons water. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a dialectic. It's a it's a you know you got you gotta you have to try to square that in your mind. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I find it very very weird. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, the, before we um, cut it off, uh, give your uh, any social media, how to donate, how to volunteer, what you guys are up to, whether you're making calls, knocking doors. Uh, so give the, full, doors. give the full pitch. <laughs> I want the full pitch. So you can go to KiraHoffnerForSenate.com. So it's K-Y-R-A-H-O-F-F-N-E-R. And then it's the number four, Senate.com. On there, you'll find my volunteer form. We are knocking doors every Saturday. And I actually have a couple of people who come out with me during the week, but that's not like big groups. Um, Donations, I'm not going to take any money uh, from big corporations. Uh, Kind of what got me really going on this was I'm so tired of going to Lake Hall and to D.C. And I'm lobbying as hard as I can and I'm saying all the right things. But it's never going to be good enough against that well-funded corporation or organization that's given that senator or representative money. I, you could say whatever you want, but when they, they get that money. So I just want this to be about the people. I want to work with the people, not be like, oh, I'm your senator and that's it. <laughs> you know? No, I have an open door policy. You call me, we are going to meet within within that week. We will meet. Um, I do notice that some of my some of the senators and representatives I talk to callbacks take about eight months. Some what? of them haven't even called me back, so I just want yeah, to point that eight, out. Eight, eight you know, if you're listening to this, you know who you are. <laughs> so I definitely, you know, it's very important to me, and I've talked to other representatives about maybe co- combining meetings where we could just get out to the community as much as possible. This is more about the community than me. It's bigger uh, than me, so I'm just your vessel to take what's important to the from the community to Dover and make sure I'm going to fight to the nail to get what we want and make sure that we're being representative in the right way. We have a lot of uh, representatives that are good down there and senators that are good down there, and you know their community's getting hi- highlighted a lot because they're bringing forth these bills that the rest of us want. So I want my community be, to be recognized as bringing the bills that are important to us. Vaughn Prison is in our district. So we, we definitely want to make sure that our, our boys and girls that are down there are getting the right education to come out and be part of the community. So, um, again, my name is Kira Hoffner. <laughs> Give money to Kira Hoffner, please. Yeah, I uh, definitely need it. I can only knock so many doors with no money. <laughs> The nice thing about my uh, district is it's a lot of talking to people. I don't have to give them tons of material. I could just go and actually talk to them, and they remember me. And we uh, we have Bridgeway Diner. That is my favorite diner. If you ever want to catch me for breakfast, I'm definitely in there. <laughs> you know? There you go. Yeah. Well, I really thank you for coming in. I, I enjoyed it. That was fun. I probably could talk to you forever. <laughs> we got I mean, lots of subjects. <laughs> yeah. No, normally now is when we uh, turn the mics off so we can really talk. <laughs> um, so this episode was, again, brought to you unofficially, officially by uh, Two Stones. 
I still have a few Delcos left. The nice lager from last week. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Two Stones. If you're going to drink beer, drink beer brewed near here. Um, tonight uh, is actually actually is happening right now. Uh, the caucuses uh, in Iowa. The, all the caucus stations are are uh, are doing the caucus thing. And um, while caucuses are very strange and in some ways anti-democratic, um, it is an exercise in organizing. It's an examination of putting people on the ground and motivating people to leave their house on a weekday night in the, well, it's probably cold there, it's warm here, um, and going and standing in a gym or a library or a social hall or a church or a mosque or a synagogue and, you know, getting involved in the electoral process. And to be able to organize people to get out and do that is a feat that people shouldn't take very, very, very seriously. So I'm not going to, uh, I don't know what the results are right now. Um, I'm not going to make any predictions about it. Uh, all I'll say is that I, I do look at, at caucuses, especially in a large state like Iowa, um, as an examination of field organizing, an examination of messaging, and what kind of people power a campaign could really have. So I'm sure we'll be talking about uh, the results here very soon. All right, Kira, thanks again for coming in. Thank you. Left is best, everybody. Cheers. Mm -hmm.